Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is based in large part of the book, Born Ready, The Mixed Legacy of Len Bice. Some quotes are narrated by Dave Ungrady, a podcast producer and the author of the book from interviews done for the book. Recordings for these comments were not available. And our initial focus, of course, was to enhance attendance and revenue for football. And then, of course, in basketball, we also created the Maryland Basketball Radio. It was a job and a family kind of atmosphere working at the university. What he really should do is put Leonard out in front of his car and drive Leonard from one end of the, of the tobacco road to the other because Leonard Bias earned Lefty that trophy that year. This morning, the question is why All-American basketball star Len Bias, headed for the Boston Celtics, was struck down by an apparent heart attack. The Maryland Medical Examiner has now issued his report on the death of the college basketball star Len Bias. It confirms the worst suspicions. It was like a, a house of cards that were crumbling. And there was no way to stop it. This is perhaps the saddest day in the history of the University of Maryland. This prosecution brought the University of Maryland to its knees. In a grand jury, you get asked the same question over and over again. And, and Arthur Marshall is it's just getting louder and louder. They knew this was a show. You know, lives had been destroyed and, and, and feelings had been brutalized. Uh, ultimately, the NCAA, you know, started to prohibit all jock dorms, so to speak, and, you know, that type of separation. You had to, you know, integrate athletes into the student population. And then I think we kind of each went into our own silo. We started to um, pull away from each other a little bit because you didn't know, you know, who the next, who the next one was going to be to go down. They had already tagged us as drug heads and, and you know, you know, guys who didn't have any type of character molds or you know anything like that. It was it, it was uh, horrific. It was probably the worst brand destroyer ever. Lefty didn't put the cocaine in Lenny's nose. He was an adult, and he did that uh, on his own accord, but. Lefty caught the fallout. 
as calm as best as possible is, but this was the first time you've ever, you've ever gone through a situation like this and you don't know necessarily how to handle it. Up next in Lem Bison, Mixed Legacy, Trauma and Transition in College Park, the immediate months of the University of Maryland after the death of Lem Bison. And that is going to be the last play of the ball game. Maryland, with 42 points in the second half, has won a stunning victory here in the Orange Bowl. The 1970s and much of the 1980s were a heady time for University of Maryland athletics. Fans still talk about the football team led by Randy White that went unbeaten in the ACC in 1974 and 1975. They didn't lose a game in 1976 until a trip to the Cotton Bowl. Russ Potts joined Maryland Athletics as its first marketing director in 1970. He was part of an athletic department transformation. And our initial focus, of course, was to enhance attendance and revenues for football. And then, of course, in basketball, we also created the Maryland Basketball Radio Network. And when I got there, they had no network and one radio station. When I left, we had 55. And, uh, you know, we... We even had games, we had all of our games on the air in Charlottesville, Virginia. We had games on the air in Trenton, New Jersey. We had all of our games on WBAL radio, which, as you know, is a 50,000-watt station. Even non-revenue sports at Maryland showed prominence. Starting in 1970, the lacrosse team advanced to the Final Four nine times in a row. They won national titles twice. Led by world record-holding hurdler Ronaldo Nehemiah, the track team was twice ranked in the top 10 in the country in the late 70s. Frank Costello was the track team head coach then. He was also an All-American high jumper at Maryland in the 1960s. It was a job and a family kind of atmosphere working at the university uh, at that point. I mean, I knew these people and I knew them for years, the majority of them. That feeling of family prevailed throughout Maryland athletics in the 1960s and 70s. Podcast producer Dave Ungrady has written three books about Maryland athletics history, including one that inspired this podcast. Ungrady was part of that athletic family. He was a member of the soccer team and was an all-conference middle-distance runner and captain of the track and field team in the late 1970s. The Maryland family connections were pretty deep in athletics in the 1960s and 70s. Close to half of the coaches were Maryland graduates, and they were Maryland athletes. In the administration, five Maryland graduates formed the nucleus of the department, the ticket manager, the marketing director, the sports information director, the fundraiser, and the athletic director. Most were Terps athletes. Even the head athletics trainer was a Maryland graduate, and they wanted the athletes to act like a family, at least living together. Most non-revenue sports athletes lived in the old athletic offices in Bird Stadium. They lived in old offices and utility rooms in Ritchie Coliseum the school's first basketball arena. I knew it well. I lived in both of them. It was family, though, with little adult supervision. We had lots of fun. Football was fun for Maryland fans in the early 1980s. That's when Bobby Ross led the Terps to three straight ACC titles, and the women's basketball team went to its first Final Four in 1982. With all that, in the context of Maryland athletics, basketball was king. It started when Lefty Drizel became head coach in 1969. He led the Terps to the ACC Tournament Championship game five times 
before finally winning it in 1984. The MVP of that tournament team was a rising sophomore star named Lund Bias. Molly Glassman covered Bias's entire college career for the Baltimore Evening Sun. And he carried them to the uh, um, ACC championship. And of course, it was lefties you know, huge accomplishment after all those years of not winning the ACC. And, um, you know, Lefty bragging after the game that he was going to take the trophy and stick it on his, uh, on the hood of his car and drive through North Carolina, drive across Tobacco Road, one end to the other, thinking at the time, well, what he really should do is put Leonard <laughs> out in front of his car and drive Leonard from one end of the, of the Tobacco <laughs> Road to the other because Leonard Bias earned Lefty that trophy that year. Two years later, Drizel was no longer Maryland's head coach. Ross was gone too. So was the school's athletic director, Dick Dole, and Len Bias was dead. The next decade or so was the darkest in the history of Maryland athletics. Bob Nelligan was the women's gymnastics coach at Maryland from 1979 to 2009. We were all just numb from the fact that how could somebody who was a, an absolute specimen, incredible athlete with, with God-given abilities, and I think it really took everybody, but like, how could this happen? So the initial phase was this isn't happening. And then as the reality started to set in, you had all the finger pointing. Where did this go wrong? Well, Lefty, should you have known this? You know, those are your boys. Uh, it, it was like a, a house of cards that were crumbling and there was no way to stop it. You're listening to Lem Bias, The Mixed Legacy on the 8th Side Network. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Got to get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the site, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. Renters, you can use Angie, too, for moving, installations, or cleaning. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. 
Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com, or download the app today. The shocking death of Len Bias sent emotional tremors throughout the United States. ESPN sportscaster Jay Billis played four years against Bias while at Duke University. I was at home uh, at my, visiting my parents right after the draft, and, uh, and my mom uh, woke me up uh, and told me. And, uh, and I was actually sleeping in, in Los Angeles, and she woke me up and said, Len Bias died. I'm like, what? Um, it, yeah, I saw, I'll never forget that. Reaction even registered around the globe. Dave Fields is a Maryland graduate who grew up a few miles from the Maryland campus. Like Bias, he attended Northwestern High School. His father, Tom, helped transform Maryland's athletic department in the 1970s as its major fundraiser. Tom Fields was an All-American distance runner for Maryland in the early 1940s. In June of 1986, Dave Fields was serving in the Marine Corps, stationed in Okinawa, Japan. And we were on a pier, ready to board a ship to go to some training exercise, probably in the Philippines. And uh, my company first sergeant, first sergeant Williams, is probably a hundred yards away, and he yells, "Hey, lieutenant! Hey, lieutenant! Check this out!" And he has a copy of the Pacific Stars and Stripes. And I walk towards him. He walks towards me, and he shows me, and I see on the very cover of Pacific Stars and Stripes, Leonard Bias is dead. And I was just gut punched. I just couldn't believe it. This is the CBS News Nightwatch. The death of Lembias quickly became a global story. This morning, the question is why All-American basketball star Lembias, headed for the Boston Celtics, was struck down by an apparent heart attack. From the Washington, D.C. area, College Park is just a few miles from D.C.'s northern border, to Boston, to Baltimore, and beyond, the media captured the shock and surprise that enveloped the country. He was a college basketball champion at the peak of his health and on the verge of a coveted professional career. This is ABC News Nightline. Substituting for Ted Koppel and reporting from Washington, Charles Gibson. When people heard the news last week, no one could really believe it. A 22-year-old athlete, one of the best and one of the strongest among us, was dead. Len Bias, a spectacular All-American from the University of Maryland. He had a basketball and the world in his hands. Then, in celebration, Bias snorted a pure form of cocaine and died. A terrible tragedy that has raised questions about college and professional sports and about the widespread use of drugs in American society. That's our theme today with our guests. John Slaughter, the Chancellor of the University of Maryland. Ralph Sampson, a former All-American from the University of Virginia, now a star forward for the Houston Rockets. While in college, he played against Bias. John Lawn, head of the Drug Enforcement Administration, who has a national crisis on his hands. All our guests today on Meet the Press. The Maryland Medical Examiner has now issued his report on the death of the college basketball star Len Bias. It confirms the worst suspicions. He died of heart failure because he used cocaine. Leonard Bias died of cocaine intoxication. The medical examiner said the cocaine in Bias's body was virtually pure. It took only four or five minutes for the young man to die. As the Celtics beat reporter for the Boston Herald, Steve Bullpit had been at the NBA draft in New York two days before Bias died. 
He was back in Boston when he heard the news of Bias's death. I just remember being exhausted and, and getting woke up by a phone call from one of my friends saying that, you know, hey, uh, the, the, the guy's passed away, the guy died. And it, I think everyone's reaction at that point was, you gotta be, you know, this is some kind of sick joke. And then a, a, a minute later or two, uh, my editor calls and said that uh, he confirmed it and said, get to Logan, you're, you're booked on a flight to DC that leaves in you know an hour or something like that. It was crazy, but something didn't fit. And I turned to our, our news guy and said, get down to the dorm now. Something, something doesn't, it just isn't adding up here. And he went down there, was, I think he was the first on the scene seeing the police going through the dumpster. And, um, you know, um, so that's when, you know, things, we kind of knew things were gonna, you know, we're, we're getting off the rails as far as what we believe, something that was, um, you know, the, the cause of death, we now had an idea. Molly Glassman covered the death of Bias for the Baltimore Sun. She recalled suspicions about the cause of Bias's death changed during a press conference by Maryland coach Lefty Drussell. That's when the first thought of drugs comes to your mind. They're, they're not saying, you know, well, the doctors say, you know, that, you know, he was, he had these issues. Not being specific about anything. You're right, he danced around a lot of things. There, there was just an edge to everything. You know, they, they weren't, especially the seniors, it was like, what are they avoiding talking about? That day, I recall that evening especially, we went to Bias' house and kind of staked it out. It was just incredibly guarded. Mm -hmm. thing. It wasn't as if somebody, uh, Lenny, had, had passed from natural causes. But it was in the community on and around Maryland's campus where the reaction was most intense. The school is located in Prince George's County. Bias grew up in the same county, some 10 miles from the campus. Did you know when? Yes, I did. I'm, I'm really upset right now. It's not, it's not a good time for me to talk about it. Everybody in the neighborhood knew him. Everybody knew him. You know, he, he got along with everybody. And I just, I just want to know what happened. Here's Jay Bias, Len's younger brother. He was the best brother that I think ever in the whole world. I just hope that I live to see him in heaven. And everything I do from now on is dedicated for my brother. Keita Covington was a defensive back on Maryland's football team and a close friend of Bias. He spent time with Bias hours before he died. Covington struggled to express himself when he heard Bias had died. Physically, was just excited. Yeah, you know I mean, I mean, other than being excited, you know, what else could you expect? Here's John Slaughter, the University of Maryland Chancellor at the time. This is perhaps the saddest day in the history of the University of Maryland. The loss of Leonard Bias is something that each and every member of this campus community feels very deeply. Here's Dick Dole, Maryland's athletic director. Uh, Lenny Bias was a great kid. Um, I've been here 10 years, and I've never seen a day as dark and sad as this one. Uh, we loved Lenny Bias for what he did for Maryland, but we loved him more because he was a good person and our friend. Maryland coach Lefty Giselle held a press conference shortly after the death of Bias. I really don't know if I'm up to this, but uh, I guess Leonard would want me to say something. You know? He's a 
I've known Leonard since he was in about the sixth grade. And he's like a son to me, so I think you can appreciate the difficulty of the way I feel right now. After the initial shock, the school and the community settled into a period of prolonged and painful transition. Mike Loxley, now Maryland's head football coach, was about to begin his senior year of high school in Washington, D.C. Jeff Baxter, a teammate of Bias at Maryland, was a neighbor of Loxley. Loxley was attending football camp with his teammates at the University of North Carolina when the news came of Bias's death. And uh, I can remember waking up that morning uh, and, and my high school coach kind of bring us all together, telling us the news. And I can remember all of us being pretty emotional um, to the point where they actually, they canceled the camp for that day. I spent a lot of years in the parking lots of Cold Field House, um, getting tickets, scalping tickets to get inside the, 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 the game and, and being able to watch them play. You know, one of my childhood friends who lived in my neighborhood, you know, Jeff Baxter lived right across the parking lot from me. And so always follow Jeff. My love for Lynn kind of came from just following Jeff, who was like our, our neighborhood hero. When it was revealed that Bias had died from cocaine intoxication, it made things even worse for Loxley and his friends. They were not naive about the drug epidemic that was impacting their DC neighborhood and other inner cities across the country. This was the time where there was a heightened awareness because of the crack epidemic and the war on drugs that was taking part. And in the neighborhood that we grew up in, obviously there were a ton of guys and people going to prison and, and that had these drug addictions. But to me, it was the first time I ever thought or heard of an athlete dying from it. And I just kept saying, there's no way. How, how could he or why would he? He had the world at his fingertips. And so trying to come to grips with just like scared the crap out of me. It just basically cemented to me like, hey, drugs aren't anything to play with. And you know, I, weren't, I wasn't using them, I don't use them, but that for me pretty much signified like, hey, drugs are nothing to play with. If they can take a guy like Lynn Bias. On campus, Maryland faculty members claimed athletes were given special privileges so they could remain eligible. Athletic Director Dick Dole felt the relationship between the school's faculty and the athletic department was in tatters due to Len's death. Podcast producer Dave Ungrady talked with Dole. Dick Dole told me, we had worked so hard to make something we were proud of. The relationship went south. When you lose confidence of the faculty, things get difficult. The death of Bias turned Dole's world upside down. He was only 35 and considered a rising star as a college athletic director. Dole said he felt as if he were one of the main characters in what he called a Greek tragedy in which there were no winners. Dole told me, I was in shell shock for about six weeks. You go from being the fair-haired boy to people calling for you to leave. It was difficult for me to handle. It was unlike anything I had ever seen. I can remember walking out of my office to go to the bathroom and someone would be following me down the hallway. It was like that every day. Soon after Bias's death, Dole called a staff meeting. He wanted to gather his forces for what promised to be an unwanted battle for normalcy. 
Sue Tyler was an assistant athletic director and a coach at the time. Um, well, I think we had one meeting to, to, to discuss it and to say, um, you know, this is really um, a tough situation and we're going to work our way through it and um, be careful with the media because the media was everywhere and uh, uh, just, you know, continue on. I'd like to take you out to the University of Maryland College Park to talk with Dick Dahl, who is the athletic director at the University of Maryland. Well, we've been in a state of shock uh, from the time we first heard about it this morning. The media had plenty to report about that summer. Good evening, sports fans and others in the Washington area and all around the country tonight are mourning the loss of Len Bias. Pat Collins has spent the day around the University of Maryland. He's putting together the facts as we know them. We're going to join him now live from College Park. Pat? Susan, Prince George's County Police are looking into the possibility that cocaine may be involved in the death of Lynn Bias. A woman in the Leland Records Department testified that a fictitious name was attached to Bias's lab reports to keep people from prying. There was so much media interest in his record that in order to um, assure that this didn't leak out, they changed the name. In late June, a medical examiner's report ruled Bias had died from consuming too much cocaine. Maryland's chief medical examiner today said the cocaine interrupted the normal electrical control of Bias's heartbeat, resulting in the sudden onset of seizures and cardiac arrest. Mike Buchanan reports. The medical examiner says the cocaine ingested by Lynn Bias, apparently snorted, was apparently uncut. In other words, almost pure. It wasn't, it wasn't a purity of the material that he used that was a key factor. What was a key factor was the fact that he used that at whatever level of purity and it got to that particular concentration in his blood. Pressure also came from within the university. In early July, the university set up two task forces, one to review academic programs, policies, and support systems within athletics. Sue Tyler was the only athletic department member on that task force. One result was making the academic support unit bigger. It was a very thorough process and a very arduous process. The positive results eventually were that they put more um, money and interest into uh, developing uh, support for the student athletes, academic support, um, training room support. It wasn't just about the academic aspect and the attendance in classes, um, but it was also just their total athletic experience. Len Elmore, a Maryland basketball All-American in the mid-1970s, was a member of that task force that looked into academic performance and alleged drug use of athletes in College Park. But many of the things that we found out, one, the, the separation of, uh, of student athletes, uh, basketball, football, and others, uh, you know, led to certain types of behaviors and, you know, the inability to detect certain types of behaviors uh, and also to monitor those who were in charge, with, who were charged with monitoring the athletes. There were some uh, faults in, in that whole system. Um, and that became a nationwide thing. Uh, ultimately, the NCAA, you know, started to prohibit all jock dorms, so to speak, and, you know, that type of separation. You had to you know, integrate athletes into the student population. Starting in 1996, the NCAA restricted to 49% of the number of athletes allowed to live in one dorm, eliminating what many referred to as jock dorms. 
If the stress of dealing with the death of a cherished athlete wasn't enough, the school also had to deal with legal challenges. The most significant, the Prince George's County's Attorney's Office on July 8th started handing out subpoenas to friends and teammates of Bias and to a number of Maryland athletic officials. Someone had to be responsible for the death of Bias. Jeffrey Harding was an assistant state's attorney for the county. So here's a guy who is now dead, this tragedy, uh, and, and, and we want to hold somebody responsible for that. This prosecution brought the University of Maryland to its knees. So people were pointing their finger at the prosecutor and saying, you know, why are you taking down our most famous institution? Why, why are you ruining this? Among those called to testify, the Terps basketball coach, Lefty Drizel. He admitted in a media report that he instructed assistant coach Oliver Purnell to clean up the suite where Bias died. That would be considered tampering with evidence. Purnell did not clean up the room, and the grand jury chose not to indict Drizel. Also called to testify, Bob Wagner, the high school coach of Bias. And this old black guy was sitting in the back, and he was kind of like sleeping. They'd been going through days of this, and I was probably the last one. You know, he's not really paying attention. So two, two beautiful people. One lady says, can you just kind of tell us what you would do if you walked in to the dorm, which I'd never gone to their rooms, and they're drinking, and they're underage. I said, well, if they're my players, then I gotta take the stuff, I gotta report it, because I'm a teacher. I, mean, I give them the same routine that you would, if you're responsible for doing as a teacher. Then I said, you know, if they're in college, I said, you know, they're, they're college kids, if they're underage, I may have to say something to Lefty, or you know, whatever the program they're involved with. In a grand jury, you get asked the same question over and over again, and, and Arthur Marshall is he's just getting louder and louder. And this is a teacher thing, too. I just lowered my voice and I said, you know, Mr. Marshall, you're asking me the same thing over and over again. And I'm going to tell you the same. You can keep asking me. You're trying to intimidate me. Um, something about did I tell them to clean up the room because I knew there were drugs in the room and I knew all about them using drugs and all this BS. So the black gentleman says, he just kind of reads, he kind of reads and he says, he said, Mr. Marshall, what is this man doing here? Oh, oh my God. Bless you, <laughs> you know, wow. I'm out of here. Because it was like, they were tired. They knew this was a show. But then from there on, that was over. But, you know, lives had been destroyed and, and, and feelings had been brutalized. John Slaughter and Dick Dole were also called to testify to the grand jury. Police officers let Dole out the back door of the courtroom to help avoid the throng of ravenous media covering the story. Only three were charged with crimes. David Gregg and Terry Long, teammates of Bias, and Brian Tribble, a close friend of Bias. All three were with Bias when he had the seizure that led to his death. Despite the scrutiny from both the media and the university, the athletic staff soldiered on. Tyler feels they held up pretty well for a time. I think it brought us all together to support each other and to try to boost each other's morale up. I think part of the trigger when Jim Dietz became kind of the fall guy to that we thought anyway, because we were astonished. He was just the hardest working, uh, most loyal guy around. And the student athletes loved him. Jim Deach was part of that old Maryland institution. He played lacrosse for the Terps in the 1960s, coached the soccer and lacrosse teams in the 1970s and part of the 80s. At the time of Bias's death, he led the academic support staff of about half a dozen advisors. 
A few months after Bias died, Dole asked Deech to become the ticket manager. Deech agreed, thinking it was best for the university. Tyler called the move astonishing. He was working 18 hours a day, seven, seven days a week. He was coaching, he was setting up the support unit, and he started uh, making sure kids were going to classes and trying to help students with um, scheduling problems. And he became known as the, the fixer in the whole department for all the student athletes. But when he left, we just said, well, if this can happen to a guy like Jim, what's going to happen to us? And then I think we kind of each went into our own silo. Uh, we started to um, pull away from each other a little bit because you didn't know, you know, who the next who the next one was going to be to go down. We were just shocked and disappointed and fearful for our own jobs and our own welfare and our own teams. Several weeks after Bias died, Dole publicly stated that Coach Drizel should keep his job, even though he was called to testify on the grand jury. Those comments led to his own departure. He and Slaughter agreed Dole's comments were not helpful and that he should step away. He resigned on October 7th. On the way to the press conference announcing his resignation, Dill reportedly told Slaughter, quote, I might recite Martin Luther King's words, free at last. Dill was in the second year of a four-year contract. He had been thinking about leaving at the end of its term. At the press conference, according to reports, he said there was more to life than, quote, slaving away trying to manage an intercollegiate athletic program. It was about a year and a half ago that I realized I no longer had a personal or private life that I didn't do anything I enjoyed, like fishing, playing golf, or photography, end quote. Understandably, Maryland men's basketball players were the most affected of any students after Bias died. Reports after Bias died claimed that several basketball players, including Bias, were academically ineligible. Junior Keith Gatlin failed to register for fall classes and was forced to miss the next season. The players became the object of skepticism and scorn. Some stayed mostly in their room for weeks to avoid criticism. Wherever they went, the media seemed to follow. Here's John Johnson, a freshman on the 1986 team. I shut down. Um, I shut down more because of I was so upset because of all the negative reports that were coming out about him and about us as players and everything. And I, I remember we didn't even want to talk to the grief counselors because it was just so bad. They had already tagged us as drug heads and, and you know, you know, guys who didn't have any type of character molds or, you know, anything like that. Johnson recalled the discomfort he felt on his first day back in class during summer school. Walk in the lecture hall. Did you have the door in the front or the back that you walked in? Did you walk in the front? Walk in the front and it goes from everybody in there talking to everything just gets quiet. And I go in the back to sit down and all of a sudden, you know, time I enter the, door, in the, in the classroom or whatever, it's just hear crickets. You're listening to Lem Bias, The Mixed Legacy on the 8th Side Network. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in a bathroom in my house. Gotta get it fixed. I don't have time, and I'm not good at it. Angie is. With just a few taps on the app, you can have Angie tackle your home service project start to finish. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. With 29 years of experience combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects really easy. It's your one-stop shop. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. Johnson never returned to the class. Sue Tyler recalls the disdain many on campus showed the athletes. The rest of the university seemed to hate us, and they thought that we had um, uh, unqualified and poor student-athletes, and we had really great kids, and they thought it was an an endemic problem, and uh, it was not. Most of our student-athletes were exceptional in the classroom and on the field, so I but the whole university really was uh, tough on the student-athletes and the coaches. Here's football player Azizuddin Abdir Rauf, or Ziz as everyone called him. There was a lot of pressure. You felt like the weight of the campus was on you, even though you didn't necessarily do anything wrong. Throughout the bias fallout, Coach Letty Drizel maintained that he had done nothing wrong. He claimed his athletes were good students, He claimed he was not aware of drug use on the team. He spoke publicly again and again after Bias died, defending his and the team's honor. That ultimately led to the end of his Maryland career. Slaughter wanted Drizel out as coach because he felt Drizel did not provide the leadership needed by the team at the time. John Slaughter told me, my conclusion was we were not going to turn that around unless a change was made. I thought we needed to change coaches for a variety of reasons. I could come up with a whole lot of reasons, but I consider that a closed chapter. I don't want to open it anymore. I like Lefty a great deal. I'm not sure it's reciprocated at the moment. When asked about his feelings towards Slaughter, Drizel told me, no comment. I have a lot of feelings about Slaughter, but I'd rather not say. Within a matter of months, a trio who helped build Maryland's familial institution, Deitch, Dole, and Drizel, were gone. Molly Glassman feels some of the moves by Chancellor John Slaughter were motivated by self-preservation. He was a chancellor who was very um, concerned about the reputation of himself and the school, and the reputation was in tatters. Academically, when the, when the revelations came out that these kids 
weren't going to class. Tom McMillan was an All-American at Maryland and was coached by Drizel in the early 1970s. He has been heavily involved with the university ever since, serving for a term on the Board of Regents. He feels Slaughter made Lefty the fall guy for Bias's death. It was, it, it was uh, horrific. It was probably the worst brand destroyer ever. Others also believe Drizel was made a scapegoat for the death of Bias. Here's Derek Lewis, a Maryland sophomore, when Baez died. And to see him walk out of Kofi House that day after announcing that he was leaving or retired, stepping down, that was that was, that was pissing me. That that, that 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 more than anything uh, pissed me off. You know, you, you, you're mad about the, the, about Lenny and what happened, but um, that's that. What was Lefty supposed to do? What was was Lefty supposed to be there at the dorm at two in the morning? Was he supposed to be watching me, see what I was doing across the hall? Was he supposed to be in Jeff's room? I mean, you can't, you can't be everywhere. So I, I, I had a big, I had a big problem with that. Here's J.J. Bush, an athletic trainer with Drizel in the 1970s. Lefty didn't put the cocaine in Lenny's nose. He didn't buy the cocaine for Lenny or any of that stuff. Lenny, you know, was over the age of consent. He was an adult, and he did that uh, on his own accord, but. Lefty caught the fallout. As Lefty Drizel stepped down as basketball coach, Maryland football coach Bobby Ross was trying to make the best of what was becoming a trying season. The Terrapins had won three consecutive ACC titles. They started the season with three wins. But injuries and distractions began to create an environment too challenging to overcome. For one thing, Ross had to endure the departures of his close friends, Dole and Drizel. Then it didn't help that the football team played its first game some 10 weeks after the tragedy. School administrators told Ross that his players had to talk to the media, but they were bombarded with questions that had nothing to do with the next game or opponent and everything to do with bias. Here's podcast producer Dave Ungrady. Bobby Ross told me guys would constantly come up to me and asked what they should say. I told them to tell the truth. It was a big distraction. It seemed that for a time, Ross preferred the players not talk to the media at all. Podcast producer Don Marcus was a reporter for the Baltimore Sun at the time. He recalls an incident with a football player that reflected the tensions on the team. Bobby Ross had been in England visiting his son when Bias had died. Summer workouts for the football team were about to begin, and Ross flew back to the U.S. to speak with his team. I remember staking out the team house really early one morning and watching players and coaches go in. I was the only reporter there. When they came out, I moved a bit away from the building so that Ross wouldn't see me. Chuck Fawcett, one of the team's star linebackers, walked by me. I knew Chuck and he stopped when he saw me. I remember I asked him what Ross had told the team. He said, we need to get ready for the season and not worry much about what's going on with bias. Said, who was friends with Bias, wasn't too happy with the message. That's bullshit, he said. Players became isolated. Ziz was a senior wide receiver on the team. I can definitely say the student union, we didn't necessarily hang out much like we had in the past. You know, you just kind of like, you, 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 you kept it moving, <laughs> as they say. And there were times where, you know, you had to tell one of your teammates, hey, you know, that person says something to you show restraint and don't say anything back. So those things were happening. We try to keep everything 
as calm as best as possible is, but this was the first time you've ever, you've ever gone through a situation like this and you don't know necessarily how to handle it. Three days after Giselle announced his resignation, Maryland's football team lost by two points at North Carolina. The Terps then only won one of their last four games to finish 5-5-1. It was the worst of Ross's five seasons at Maryland. Toward the end of the season, Ross met with acting athletic director Charles Sturtz. He wanted clarification on the university's admissions policy and how it might affect the future of Maryland athletics. The policy was being scrutinized following Bias's death. He was told it could be as long as three or four years before the issue would be all settled. Ross told me, that's when I started to think about it, not having a defined direction and all the other distractions. I felt it was time to move on. Maryland won its last game that season to Virginia by 32 points. But the mood on the ride back from Charlottesville for Ross, his wife, and four of his five children was far from either serene or celebratory. It was during that two and a half hour ride on November 28th that the Ross family had a long talk about dad's future. They decided he would step down as Maryland's head coach. Four days later on December 1st, Ross resigned as Maryland's head coach. In a little over five months, Maryland had lost its athletic director, its basketball coach, and its football coach. Three days later, Maryland would start its basketball season a few weeks later than normal. They would have a new head coach, Bob Wade. They would finish the season 9-17, and 17, Maryland's worst season since 1969. That was the year before Lefty Giselle took over as coach. It was a sign of the tumultuous years to come in athletics at Maryland, all created by the death of Len Bias. Up next on Len Bias, a mixed legacy. Tragedy to Triumph. Maryland suffered uh, an unspeakable trauma with Bias's death, and the reaction was swift and far-reaching. And it was a trauma that lasted for a long, long time. It was just a chore. You know, it's... I enjoy playing with my teammates. But as far as that game being fun, it wasn't. For for me personally, whatever, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't fun. It was was devastating. It really was. That's the only word I can use. We're at the bottom of the pile and trying to look up and see how you 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 could not just pass six other really good teams, but to be competitive with Duke and North Carolina. I wanted to be a, a good player at home. I wanted my family and friends to see me up close and personally. And, and uh, I wanted to show that um, I can't have the same impact as Lynn Bias. Dixon fires it up to the top of the Georgia Dome roof, and the kids have done it. Maryland wins their first ever national championship. This podcast series is based on the book Born Ready, A Mixed Legacy of Len Bias, published by Go Grady Media. The series is produced by Go Grady Media in partnership with Octagon Entertainment. This segment was produced by Dave Ungrady and Don Marcus. It was written by Dave Ungrady and edited by Don Marcus. The narrator was Kevin McNulty with additional narration by Jamal Williams. Technical production was provided by Octagon Entertainment. Production assistance was produced by Kevin McNulty, Tino Quagliata, Lauren Roth, Georgia Brown, Casey Fair, Jamal Williams, Kelsey Mannix, and Enzo Alvarenga. 
Matt Dewhurst is providing the social media assistance. Special thanks to the University of Maryland and American University for providing insights. The Decision Education Foundation is a content and promotional partner of this podcast series. For more information, go to gogradymedia.com. This has been a production of Go Grady Media and the 8th Side Network. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.